listening to the Christchurch Mequon Podcast, where every day we're lifting lives and elevating Christ, a church for those not here yet. For more information and resources, visit our website, ChristchurchMequon.org. Now, we hope you enjoy this relevant message from Vicar Nathan Miskey. Hi, good morning, everyone. Welcome once again to Christ Church. We're a church about lifting lives, elevating Christ, a church for those not here yet. And whether you're joining us here in West, joining us over in East, or joining us online, welcome. Thank you for choosing to spend part of your Sunday with us. Thank you for being a part of Christ Church this morning. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Nathan. I'm a vicar here at Christ Church, which is a fancy way of saying pastor in training. And this week, as has been mentioned, we are starting a series, two weeks, on holiness. After that, we are moving into our Lenten series, this, this journey to Easter uh, time of the year. And the series we're going to be going through is called I Am Christ Church. And it's all about how we live as Christians, how we live as Christ followers, what we do that makes us distinct, that makes us Christ followers. And with that, we have Easter groups. You've heard about them a couple times this morning. I'm going to tell you about them once again. Please sign up. Get involved in an Easter group. It's one of the best things we do at Christ Church. So we'd love for you to get involved in an Easter group. Before you leave today, sign up for an Easter group. But holiness this morning, that is what we're going to be talking about for the next two weeks. And holiness is one of those things that I think intuitively we have a pretty good grasp on what holiness is. Right? We kind of understand what it is. We, we get a pretty good sense of what it means to be holy, what holiness is all about. And yet, if you were to be asked to define holiness, I think it would be a bit of a struggle to to come up with a good definition. I tested that. I asked a couple people, how would you define holiness? And the answer I most often got was, well, it means to be holy, you know, using the definition to define the word, which is using the word to to give the definition, which is never a good thing because it doesn't actually explain anything else about the word. But it's one of those things where we intuitively get it, but it's hard to put words to. And the reason for that is because holiness encompasses a lot of different things, right? It's hard to put one word or one phrase behind holiness that encompasses all of what it means to be holy, If we were to put one phrase behind it, and the phrase you will most often hear is set apart. To be holy is to be set apart, hence the name of the series. But it means more than just different than everything else, right? That's what set apart means, different, distinct from everything else, because it's it's set apart in a specific way. And holiness has a lot of different aspects to it, because it, it, it is set apart, but it's also goodness, It's also purity. It's also power. It's also life-giving. And one aspect that I don't think immediately comes to mind for most of us when we think of holiness is the idea that holiness is dangerous. Yes, holiness is good, it's powerful, it's life-giving, but holiness is also dangerous. One of the first places we see an example of this is in Exodus 3, and it's a famous story. It's Moses and the burning bush. The story of Moses coming up and seeing this bush engulfed in flames. And it goes like this. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him, to Moses, in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. Right away, we have this idea of the angel of the Lord, and what that means is literally the Lord. It is God. It is not an angel sent by God, as we will see with like Gabriel uh, going to Mary and Joseph in the Christmas story. 
It is God himself. And we know this because of what happens later in the story. But it is God himself appearing to Moses in this blazing fire in this bush. And when I was a kid and I heard this story, I didn't really get it. I didn't understand why this was so miraculous or so amazing. Sure, a bush being on fire is kind of weird if you're just out in the wilderness by yourself and you see this. But it's not miraculous, right? I didn't understand what made it miraculous. And what did is that it just kept burning. And it was a blazing fire. It wasn't just kind of on fire. It was a blazing fire. And it kept going and kept going. And the bush never burned up. The fire never ran out of fuel. And this was, what I find interesting is Moses just stares in amazement. And I wonder how long he stared at it. How long it took him to realize, oh, something different is going on here. This isn't a fire that's about to go out. This is going to keep burning. I wonder how long it took him to come to that realization. Eventually he does. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. And so he's looking from kind of far away, and he sees it, and he begins to go closer to it. And that's when it gets dangerous. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied. Keep this response in mind. Moses enters into God's presence. God calls to him, and Moses replies, here I am. That'll come back into play in a different story. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. Moses has now entered into God's presence. And God's presence and God's holiness is dangerous. The analogy I think that best helps us understand how holiness can be dangerous is the sun. The sun is a lot of things holiness is. It is good. The sun brings life, right? Without the sun, none of us would be here. The sun is powerful. And yet the sun is dangerous, right? If we were to get too close to the sun, right? If we were to try to go to the sun, we would burn up and die. The sun is dangerous, right? The closer you get, the more dangerous it is. And even here on earth, 93 million miles away from the sun, It's dangerous even here, right? If you look at the sun too long, you'll go blind. If you just stand out in the sun for too long, you can burn your skin, right? The sun is good. It's wonderful. We love the sun. I love when it's a sunny day outside. And yet, the sun has danger to it too. And God and his holiness is similar, right? If we get too close to God in our impurity, in our unholiness, it becomes dangerous for us. A similar concept that I also struggled to understand for a really long time was this idea of fear of the Lord. I'd read about it in Psalms and Proverbs and in these Old Testament verses talking about how the wise person fears the Lord or the person that fears the Lord does this. And it's always framed as a good thing to be afraid of God. And that was confusing to me because why should I be afraid of God, right? He's loving, he cares for me, he loves me. Like, why would, why would that God be scary? Why should we be afraid? But when we think about it in the context of holiness, it begins to make more sense. Because although God is good and life-giving and entering into his presence is a good thing, we should do so with a healthy reverence for God's holiness, with at least a little element of 
fear. And yet it's a good thing to be in God's presence. We sometimes sing songs about God's presence entering in and how it's good to be in God's presence. So it's a good thing to be in God's presence. Yes, it's a dangerous thing. If we get too close in our impurity, we can die. So it's dangerous, and yet it's a good thing. So the question we have is, how can an impure human enter into God's presence? To understand this question, to answer this question, it helps to understand the idea of purity. Now, purity is something we talk about today. It's still talked about today. But when we talk about it today, often we're talking about like moral purity, purity in our hearts, purity of character, right? Someone who is prone to doing the right thing is pure. But that's not how it was talked about in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, how they, the, the parts of the Bible before Jesus showed up, the idea of purity was more this idea of ritual cleanliness, being ritually clean. And the way most often someone would become impure would be by interacting with death, by touching a dead body, by touching blood of an animal, right? these things that are related to death. And if you do those things, you become ritually unclean. Now, important to note, being impure does not mean you're sinful. They can go hand in hand, but it is not necessarily true. Right, of course, if you commit a sin, if you kill someone and that's why there's a dead body, that would be a sin. I think we all understand that. But if you are preparing a dead body for burial, right, that is a good thing to do. That is not sinful. And yet it makes you impure. And the reason for that is that it's the opposite of holiness. Right? Holiness is good. It brings life. God is holy and good and life-giving. And so he can't have anything to do with death. And so to enter into God's presence in this impure state, to bring death into God's presence, would be unholy and would be dangerous. And so impurity does not equal sin. But getting closer to God's presence is dangerous. And one of the ways we see this in the Old Testament is when we think about the temple and how the temple kind of worked. And the temple had different tiers. There was like the outside the temple, then you're inside the temple, and there's a couple tiers. And then in the center of the temple was this place called the Holy of Holies. And basically, the closer to the center of the temple you got, the closer to God's presence you got, which means you had to get more and more pure to be able to do that. And the ways you became more pure were a variety of ways. You can read all about them in Leviticus. Uh, That book is mostly about being pure or being ritually clean. And you can do that by offering sacrifices, by doing these ritual cleansings. There's a variety of ways. And to get close to the temple, you had to do more of these things, basically, is how it worked. And to the point where if you were to go to the center of the temple, the Holy of Holies, only one person, one day a year, was allowed to do so. The great high priest on the Day of Atonement. They were the only person all year who was allowed to enter into the Holy of Holies, enter most closely into God's presence. And they had to do all these things to make themselves pure to be able to do so. And so the closer you got to God, the more dangerous it was. And so with all that context in mind, we're going to turn to the story we're going to look at uh, today, most importantly. And this is the story of Isaiah. It comes in Isaiah 6. Uh, It's kind of a famous story. You may or may not know it, uh, but it is a weird story. It's a strange story. And Isaiah is this prophet. 
He's a prophet of God, but he's not a prophet yet in this story because this is Isaiah's call or Isaiah's vision. He's not a prophet yet. He becomes a prophet of God, a prophet being the spokesperson from God who most often spoke to God's people, telling them what they did wrong. You know, stop worshiping idols. Stop treating people badly. Stop doing these things. That's most of what a prophet's job usually was. But Isaiah was kind of cool because he also got this job of offering prophecy about Jesus who was to come. Often on Christmas, we'll hear the words, wonderful counselor, and things like that, that these names of Jesus that come to us from Isaiah's prophecy. But when Isaiah was called, the story goes like this. It was in the year King Uzziah died that I, Isaiah speaking, saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. And so we have these seraphim, which are a type of angel. They're a type of angel that God has sent, that God has created. Uh, There's a couple that we see in the Bible. There's cherubim, there's seraphim. These seraphim are these mighty angelic creatures. And they have these six wings. With two wings they cover their faces, With two, they're flying, and with two, they're covering their feet. And scholars aren't 100% sure why they're doing that, but the consensus and what I think is happening is that even though they are these holy, angelic beings, they aren't as holy as God. They aren't as holy to be in God's presence and to not be in danger. And so to, to, to protect themselves, right, they even cover their faces, because even though they're angels, they still can't look upon God's holy presence. And they cover their feet, because they are still on holy ground. And they're calling out to each other, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple to its foundations, and the entire building was filled with smoke. Then I, Isaiah, said, it's all over. I am doomed, for I'm a sinful man. I have filthy lips, and I live among a people with filthy lips. Yet I've seen the king, the Lord of heaven's armies. Isaiah's terrified because he knows the rules. He's in God's presence, and he is not pure. His lips are filthy, and not only that, he is also sinful. He's entered into God's presence. He's unclean. He is sinful. He is not worthy at this moment to be in God's presence. And so he thinks he is about to die. He is in danger. But then something crazy happens. Something really weird happens. And something unprecedented happens too. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal. He had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. The seraphim grabs this coal, which was burning at the altar, takes it with the tongs, and flies over to Isaiah. He touched my lips with it and said, see, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. This angel, this seraphim, takes the coal and touches it to Isaiah's lips. You see, up until this point, how purity worked was that if an impure thing touches a pure thing, that impurity is transferred unto the pure thing. If you touch a dead body, you become impure. If you touch animal blood, you become impure. But here, the situation is reversed. For the first time, the situation is reversed. The coal 
in its purity, in its holiness, touches Isaiah's lips, and his filthy lips become clean. He himself becomes pure and safe to be in God's presence. Then I heard the Lord asking, whom should I send as a messenger to this people? Who should be my prophet? Who should speak to my people on my behalf? Who should tell them of my son who is to come and save them? Who will go for us? Isaiah replies, here I am, send me. Like Moses when the Lord called, he responded, here I am, send me. Because of his now purity, he knows that he can do God's work in the world. Up until this point, touching something impure made people impure. But here, for the first time, the purity of the coal was transferred from the pure thing to the impure thing, from the coal, from God to Isaiah by touching his lips. Now we see Jesus carry on this tradition in the New Testament. In Matthew 8, and and throughout the book of Matthew and all the other gospels, we see a story of Jesus healing people by touching them, by transferring his holiness and his purity onto people. He heals them, he forgives them, and they become pure. And one of those powerful examples of this is in Matthew 8 when Jesus meets this man who has leprosy. Because at this time, if you have leprosy, you are an outcast. Right? People weren't even supposed to be around you. They were sent off to leper colonies. And what you certainly didn't do is touch someone with leprosy. Because, of course, that impurity, that disease would transfer from them to you. But this story is different. Suddenly, a man with leprosy approached him and knelt before him, Jesus. Lord, the man said, if you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean. Jesus reached out and touched him. I'm willing, he said, be healed. And instantly the leprosy disappeared. Jesus reaches out and touches a man with leprosy. And he transfers his purity to that man. Jesus takes his holiness, his righteousness, his purity, and bestows it upon this man with leprosy. But he doesn't just do it for this man. He does it for you, too. When Jesus died on the cross, he took on our sin, and he offers us forgiveness. But something else happened, too. The veil of the curtain of the temple tore in two, and God's holy presence was unleashed out into the entire world. And so now we say things like, whenever two or more are gathered in my name, there I'll be out with you also. The Bible says this. God is here. God's presence is here. God's holy, dangerous presence is here. So how can we in our human impurity be in this place with God and his holy presence? Why are we not dying right now? How does that work? And it works because Jesus transfers his purity to you. And he does so in a variety of ways. One of the ways he does so is through word. By hearing that you are forgiven and believing it, it is true. It's not by what you do, but by what God has done for you. By grace, you've been saved through faith. So Jesus offers you forgiveness. So no, 
You are forgiven. You are made pure by Jesus. Believe it. But in these stories, what happens is the coal touches Isaiah's lips and he's made pure. Jesus touches the leper and the leper is made pure. And so we here at Christ Church celebrate something called sacraments. We have two of them. We have baptism and we have communion. And what happens in sacraments is that it is an outward sign of God's inward blessing. Is this tangible thing we can touch happens to remind us and to bestow upon us God's holiness and purity. One of the ways Jesus transfers his purity to you is through baptism. When the water touches you, you are cleansed, you're made holy, you are made pure, so you can enter into God's presence. Now, it's not the only way this happens. Right? We talked about, talked about it through forgiveness, too, through belief as well. And so some people believe that if you aren't baptized, well, then you aren't saved. We don't believe that. But when that water touches you, you are made pure. And so if you have not yet been baptized, we'd love to talk to you about that. Just have a conversation. No commitment to actually do it. But we'd love to talk to you about that. If you're curious about what that could be like, find me, find Pastor Andrew, find Pastor Mike. Write it on a Connect card. Talk to anyone who looks like they might know something about what's happening here at Christ Church. We'd love to start a conversation with you about baptism. And if you've already been baptized, know that that water has made you pure. But if you need a reminder more than just of your baptism, more than just that once, know too that Jesus transfers his purity to you through communion. That in the bread and in the wine, Jesus is present. We believe that Jesus is truly present in bread and in wine. And so when we think back to Isaiah of the coal touching his lips, we take communion, we can think about the bread touching our lips and making us pure, and the wine touching our lips and making us pure. And so when you take communion this morning, think of Isaiah and know that God is making you pure once again. You can enter into God's presence because Jesus has made you pure. And because Jesus has made you pure, because you were created by God, Jesus has set you apart too. You see, we are distinct. We are holy from the rest of creation. And this started in the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And over six days, he created the earth, the sun, the stars, the sky, the animals. But on the sixth day, he created something distinct from everything else when he created you, when he created humans. He created us in his image, distinct from everything else, set apart to do his work in the world, to have dominion over the earth, to care of it, to reign over it, to be priests in his temple, which is his creation. And so because you have been made pure, because you have been set apart, we can and we get to do God's work here in the world. Like Isaiah, when he was made pure by the coal touching his lips, he was then given a task by God to go be his messenger. And we're given that task too, to go share the gospel with those not here yet. And we can do so because God has made you pure. He does so through word, through forgiveness. He does so through water, 
and he does so through bread and through wine. So know that Jesus has made you pure and Jesus has set you apart. Let's pray. Gracious God, almighty Jesus, we thank you for your purity, for your holiness, for your righteousness. And we thank you that even though we sin, even though we fall short, even though we become impure ourselves, Jesus, we thank you that you have made us pure so we can enter into your presence. Help us to be reminded of this always. We interact with water, we interact with bread, we interact with wine, when we're baptized, when we take communion, when we hear we are forgiven, when we hear that you love us, help us to know that it is true and that we have been made pure and holy and set apart. Help this spur us on to live the lives you've called us to live, to do the things you've called us to do, to reach those not here yet, and help them enter into your presence too. Jesus, we know that your holiness is good. We know that it brings life. We know it's power and it's danger too. Help us as we revere you to live the lives you've called us to live, to love how you've called us to love so that those not here yet and love you too. Jesus, we thank you so much. We praise you. And we pray these things in your holy name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Christchurch Mequon podcast. Find your next step and let us know how we can be praying for you at Christchurchmequon.life slash podcast. Hit that subscribe button and until next week, God bless.